Good morning, everybody. Man, it's so good to be back with you. Um, thanks to Cruz, man, what a great job he did last week. And we had, that guy is so talented. We are blessed to have him here at Christ Church. Uh, he's out of town today, but make sure you let him know uh, how much you appreciate him. And Christy and I had a great time uh, up in the mountains of Virginia. And, you know, we did some stuff. I, you know, you can look at me and tell I don't do a lot of hiking, right? <laughs> So uh, we, we did do a hike. Christy really wanted to do a hike. I, I think she knows the life insurance is paid up. But, uh, you know, it was like a, a three-mile hike up, in, up at this mountain. Um, and they had a stations at the cross kind of thing going on. And it was pretty cool. Uh, but during that hike, I sort of thought to myself, you know, I need to lose some weight. <laughs> If any of you have ever been there where you're like doing something physically, you know, oh, whew, boy, I got to make some changes. So listen, if you Google search for weight loss pill, <laughs> you know, you want to do it the easy way. You know, you don't even have to exercise. You don't even have to change your diet. Just take this pill. Do you believe that? <laughs> You'll get 150 million sites to look at weight loss pills. Millions of web websites make the promise of a better body at just taking a simple pill. Even more stunning is the fact that how many people buy into that. Last year, I don't know if you knew this, but over $33 billion were spent on various weight loss products. $33 billion. At the same time, the FDA reports that 39.6% of Americans are overweight, all right? And, you know, that, that's the world we live in. I think the conclusion uh, that we can all come to is that our world is full of miracle cures that never really deliver on what they're promising. Most of us are skeptical when something sounds too good to be true. How many of you are like that? You, you hear it, it's just too good to be true. I'm not believing it till I see it. So with that in mind, this morning, I'm going to offer you something to radically improve your life in every way. Now you, well, that sounds too good to be true, right? It'll, it'll make you happier. It'll make you healthier. It'll make you feel more fulfilled and it will give you a legacy lasting far beyond your own lifetime. Now, before you tune me out and think, ah, oh, here he goes, consider this. The reason so many people go for the miracle weight loss pill, even if it doesn't work, is because deep down, we all want the best version of ourselves. Am I right about that? We were created by God with the desire to be fulfilled, to be happy, to live for something more than just our own stories. We are on a search for significance and fulfillment. And today, I want to offer you a pathway towards the life you've always wanted. And here's the good news. It's not a pill and I don't need your credit card number to get it, okay? What am I talking about? You may be shocked when you hear this, but one word, it's generosity. Today, we are starting a three-week series called The Generous Life. 
And I'm going to show you from Scripture how living generously can open the floodgates of the best version of you possible and set you on a path to happiness and purpose and impact. Here's the big idea. Being aware of the people around you is an integral part of living a generous life. Think about that, being aware of the people around you. As we get going, I want to take a moment to tell you what generosity is not, or this is not what I mean by generosity. Generosity is not just your money. Just in case some of you are out there thinking, oh, here he goes again with another sermon about money. No, that's not what it is. Generosity has to do so much with so much more than just our money. Money may be a part of it, But a generous life is about being generous in a variety of ways. So let's think about some different ways that we can be generous. We can be generous with our thoughts. Are we generous in the way we think about other people? In other words, when you see somebody, do you automatically think the worst about that person? Or are you generous in your thoughts about that person? Is your immediate thought, what's wrong with that person? Or why are they dressed like that? You know, making these judgments about people. The Bible talks about loving our neighbors as ourselves. Uh, But how often do we give the people around us the benefit of the doubt? We also must consider the way we think about ourselves. Before we can think about others in a generous way, we need to understand how God thinks about us, and we need to adopt God's view of us. Now, there's something uh, called self-talk. That's when you're talking to yourself. Now, some people might say, you're a little crazy if you're talking to yourself. But there is a thing called negative self-talk. And it is always a reflection of an incorrect view of God. Do you pay attention to your self-talk? Do you think about what you're thinking about? In other words, are you always downing yourself, thinking that God must hate you, thinking that you're not valuable at all, or are you taking the view of God that He created you in His image? We can be generous with our words. The book of Proverbs says, Careless words stab like a sword, but the words of the wise bring healing. Do you use your words in a healing way to be encouraging and uplifting to people, to build people up? Or are you using your words in a different kind of way, to bring hurt or pain. There's a difference. You can be generous with your words. We can certainly be generous with our money. And every time that we uh, give financially, it softens our hearts. uh, And we become more like Christ in that, in that we are giving uh, of everything. Giving our money takes the focus away from ourselves and it puts it on others or on the kingdom and the work that God is wanting to do. We can be generous with our influence. Now, most of us would not be where we are today without the influence of someone else in our life. 
How many of you have had somebody give a positive influence in your life? Raise your hand if there's ever been someone who was positive in your life. They were generous. And we all have influence. We all have networks of people that we are connected to. Are we using that influence to bless people? We can be generous with our time. Sometimes the best thing we can do for another person is to take the time to stop and help them or take time to stop and listen or maybe to stop and celebrate with them. Are you using your time in a generous way? We can be generous with our attention. You know, we live in a world where we're so busy and, you know, that word attention deficit is out there. Um, how, how often do we find ourselves sitting at the table with friends or family and everybody's on their phone? And we're not paying attention to each other. When we're having conversations with people, are we listening? Are we in the moment? Are we fully present in those conversations? We can be generous with our belongings. We all have stuff that we, you know, can use to bless others in a creative way. Stuff that's just sitting around. Do you, do you see the point? Generosity is far more than just money. Generosity is about taking your entire life everything that you are, everything that you have, and using it to bless those who are around you, to use it in a way that will uplift the name of God, to give Him honor and praise and glory. And since generosity isn't about money, we can make this statement, and it is a true statement, generosity is for everyone. We have no excuse you don't have to be rich to be a giver. You don't have to be a millionaire to be generous. In fact, let me give you a spoiler for this entire series right now. The requirements for generosity are as follows, and it, it, it's very complicated. You may want to write this down on a piece of paper, because you know, just to keep up with it, it's, it, it, it's pretty important. Number one, identify an opportunity, and number two, take action. That's it. See the need, do something about it. Your life can be completely transformed by the power of generosity if you are willing to become intentional about identifying the opportunities that are there and taking action on those opportunities. And here is the bonus. If you do this, you will have a tremendous impact on the world around you. This is our pathway to a generous life. Awareness, action, and impact. And over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack those three ideas, and I can't wait to see how God transforms you and me and the life of our church in the process. So today we're going to start with this. The first step on our path toward a generous life is awareness. 
Now stop and think about how many times each of us experience uh, on a daily basis uh, the, the many different sights and sounds and, you know, uh, uh, the touches and the smells. You know, it is a sensory overload, if you will. Uh, if you were to try to put a number on how often we're using our senses, I don't think, I don't know that you could. Science and research tells us that our senses never stop working even while we're asleep. Now, uh, I know you ladies are thinking, my husband never hears anything I'm saying to him. But uh, hey, uh, the science says that's not necessarily true. We're literally sensing things all the time. We live in a perpetual state of sensory overload. And because of this, our brains are working overtime just to try to categorize and keep up with all these things. And this is why you can, you, you, you can go brush your teeth in the morning and you don't have a second thought about it. It's possible for us to experience hundreds of millions of things every day and only be aware of a few of them. Now, maybe you're not convinced by that, so we're going to do a little experiment right now, okay? So, I, how many of you could tell me the last 10 people that you saw today? The last 10 people that you, you have a list of those people in your mind? Uh, if you can't come up with 10, can you come up with five? And then I would want you to tell me what every one of those conversations were about. Now that, I don't know, some of you can probably do that. I don't think I can do that. Um, because our, our brain's efforts to categorize our experiences actually make it harder for us to fully be present and fully aware on an everyday basis. And yet when we look to Scripture, we see Jesus as a person, as a, as a man who never seemed to miss an opportunity. Have you ever noticed that about Jesus? I mean, we can say, well, he was, he was God. Well, yes, but he was also fully man. And Jesus had this uncanny ability to maximize those opportunities for impact and for generosity. And this morning, I want us to look at one of those moments in Jesus' life where he did exactly that. So we're going to go to Mark chapter 5, and we're going to begin reading in verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. And then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now let... Let's get a little deeper into that story. Uh, this comes right after Jesus had been on the other side of the lake and he had healed a demon-possessed man. You remember that story? And then he and the disciples got back in the boat and they, as this says, they came back across the lake. Now that was a very intense encounter in the life of Jesus. You know, healing that demon-possessed man. 
And so then he comes back across, and there's this large crowd just waiting for Jesus. He barely had time to get out of the boat uh, when he was just surrounded by people. And then a very prominent and influential religious leader comes to him and falls down at his feet. Now this is one of those moments no one could miss because it's right in front of your face. Not only is it right in front of Jesus' face, but it's also a very urgent situation. I mean, the religious leader, his name was Jairus. He has a daughter who's very sick. In fact, he says she's dying. Jairus has one request of Jesus. Come to my house and heal my daughter. Can you feel the panic in his voice as you read and hear? It's a father's voice, right? How many of you could empathize with that father? If you've got children and they've ever been sick or they've ever had a problem, you can empathize. Now, when you go to the account in Luke chapter 8 of this same story, uh, we, we learn that this daughter is not only his only daughter, but she is his only child. And she is about 12 years old. And that's when a Jewish girl would be considered a woman when she becomes 12. So for 12 years, this couple has not been able to have any other children. So their prospects for more children are very slim and her life is slipping away. As the synagogue ruler, Jairus was a man of influence in his community. He would direct the affairs of the synagogue and of its services. And understanding that the majority of the religious leaders in the Jewish community were opposed to Jesus. Remember how the The Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the Sadducees, they were always looking for something to put on Jesus because they didn't like him. He was changing things. Jairus is risking some amount of ridicule by going to Jesus and falling at his feet. But he knew the urgency of the situation. And at that moment, As any parent could attest, nothing else matters than the life of your child. He didn't care what anybody thought, right? He was desperate to save his daughter. And we see this man of prominence in the community come and fall at Jesus' feet, begging Jesus to save his daughter. Do you feel his fear his anxiety, his desperation. Jesus responded exactly how we would expect Jesus to respond. He drops everything that he's doing and immediately he starts following Jairus to his house and this is where the story takes an interesting turn. Uh, By the way, there are some interesting turns up in the mountains of West Virginia that we took. I can tell you about that later. But um, Christy was scared to death. Um, Mark chapter 5, verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. 
She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and she touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So as Jesus is headed towards this obvious opportunity to minister and to bless this man Jairus and his family, he's confronted with this more subtle situation. The Bible tells us that there's this woman in the crowd who's been bleeding for 12 years. Now, it's, I, I don't know if there's any significance. I, I don't think that there is, but it is interesting, though, that she's been bleeding for 12 years, and this little girl is about 12 years old. But as we think about that, you may think bleeding for that many years, well, that would be a discomfort. That would be an inconvenience. Uh, ladies, you, you, you could probably understand this even better than we can as men. But friends, there, there is so much more to that than just knowing that she's been bleeding for 12 years. Now, medically speaking, it sounds like this was a gynecological problem. Although the text doesn't tell us that, it seems to infer this. And I want you to consider that this woman, what she must have been going through. First off, just the medical consequences could be dire. Uh, you can talk to medical people here, doctors, nurses. But think about if, if you've been bleeding for 12 years, certainly you would become anemic, right? I mean... You, the blood loss would bring on extreme fatigue and weakness, a pale skin, a, a fast heartbeat, a chest pains, headaches, dizziness, lightheadedness, cold hands and feet, inflammation and soreness of the tongue, brittle, brittle nails. I mean, all kinds of things are going on with your body. Certainly, she was having some health problems as a result of this bleeding. But it was more than that. According to the law of Moses, a woman who was going through her normal monthly cycle would have been restricted from social activities. She would not be able to go to worship in the temple. She could not be around other people in public. Anyone who touched her would be considered unclean, and then they too would be restricted from socializing with other people. So friends, do you see, this is more than just a medical problem. This is a social, emotional, spiritual problem. She would have been isolated. She would have been lonely. Even her family couldn't have that physical contact with her. Her life was a misery because of this condition. She was desperate. She had done everything she could do to get the help she needed. She spent all her money on doctors for a cure. I can't imagine what doctors back then would know or be able to do, but obviously nothing had helped. There was no miracle pill that she could take 
that would take that pain and that suffering away. But she heard that Jesus was coming to town. And obviously she had heard that Jesus had done these great miracles and it was worth a try. Even though she wasn't supposed to be touching anybody, you know, she's in this crowd and there's no way that other people hadn't touched her or she hadn't touched them. And as Jesus was walking through the crowd, she made this very bold and desperate move. She reached out and she touched the bottom of his cloak. And as soon as she did, she was miraculously healed. And it's important we don't miss the context of the story. She was headed towards an urgent, or Jesus was headed towards an urgent opportunity. Jairus' daughter is dying. He is going there. That opportunity was obvious. It involved important and influential people, and time was of the essence. And right in the middle of all of that opportunity, he encountered another opportunity so small, so subtle, that no one would have blamed him if he just kept walking. But look at how Jesus responded in verse 30. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? And uh, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, And yet you can ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You know, I I, want to look at that verse 30 for just a minute. Uh, I believe that this is one of the most profound phrases in Scripture as it relates to a generous life. The Bible says Jesus turned around to the crowd and he asked, who touched my clothes. What Jesus was demonstrating was a remarkable awareness. Just think about that. I mean, he, the crowd was all over him. And yet, hmm, somebody. Now, I, I don't totally understand this thing about his power going out, but he knew that that had happened. And in the middle of this urgent moment, in the middle of this large crowd, Jesus didn't miss this opportunity. And the disciples were completely shocked by Jesus' response. I mean, they can't believe it. With all those people crowded around, with everybody bumping up against him, that he, he was aware that someone, someone had touched his clothes. And then he singled out or would single out this woman in the midst of all the other stuff going on. I think the disciples were asking the same question that probably we might ask in that story. How in the world did Jesus know this? How was he aware of what was happening around him that he didn't miss a moment to be generous to this woman? And I think that's an important question for us because we are followers of Christ and We want to be aware as well. He he is our blueprint and our example for how to live here in the world. In other words, if Jesus was aware of the needs of others, even those subtle, quiet things, then this needs to be our goal as well. 
Most of us live incredibly busy lives. And much like this story, we have things coming at us from every direction. And a lot of those things, especially for those of us that are working, there are urgent things that come. And some of these things involve maybe important people, you know, your boss or whatever. And some of those things are right in our face. And yet, do we, as followers of Jesus, have the same level of awareness that Jesus had with this woman. Uh, I want to give you an answer to this question right now, but before I do, I want, to, I want us to understand why that question is so important. It, it is tied to the principle that we must understand that awareness activates generosity. Think about that. The, our awareness activates our generosity. The first step to a generous life is to become aware of what is happening around us. People who are successfully living generous lives seem to have their antenna up all the time. Now, for those of you that are under 30, uh, an antenna is something that you, you know, uh, we used to put it up on top of the house, you know, and connect it to the TV. Uh, an antenna is that long piece of metal that's on the top of some cars, right? And uh, uh, at your grandparents' house, they might have had this bunny rabbit antennas, right? Uh, and when I was young, we used to have to, you know, take turns holding those so that the channel would come in good. Um, but its sole purpose is to pick up the signal that is being transmitted from a radio or television tower far away. Now, if we're going to cut through the sensory overload and identify opportunities to be generous, then we have to learn how to have our antennas up all the time so that we can be aware of the needs. The disciples in this story were actually correct. Everybody was touching Jesus. In the same way, we are intersecting with people all the time. But unless we develop the ability to be aware, then we will never be able to be generous. And so how do we do it? How do we become more aware of the opportunities for generosity that exist all around us? So today, I, I want to give you one new habit to help you increase your awareness. I'm not going to dump a whole truckload of stuff on you. Just one simple thing that you and I can do. I believe that this one thing will help us in our daily routine and it will give us the awareness we need to live a generous life. Here it is. Again, real, real science kind of stuff. Hard. you got to be a brilliant person to come up with this. Uh, here it is. Every morning... Ask God to make you a generous person. Ask God to make you more generous. That's it. Just ask God. A little daily prayer will absolutely change our life. Prayer is essential if we're going to become aware of the opportunities that are around us. And it makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to be generous to others because of God's love for you, Shouldn't we start the day by inviting God into our efforts? After all, isn't this something that God wants us to do? Our world is loud and noisy and we're going to need some help to tune our hearts 
to the opportunities that God has for us. You know, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, we read, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul, in writing that, is inviting us to let God transform us by changing the way we think. So friends, awareness always begins with a shift in perspective. Think about it. We need God to give us a new perspective because human nature is to walk through life sort of in selfie mode. Y'all know what I'm saying. You know, all these people want to take selfies, you know, and it's, it's, mm, you know, doing these things. You know, doing those things. I, I've never really totally understood that. Uh, I don't care to see myself that much. But self-centeredness is our default setting. And it keeps us from being aware of the opportunities for generosity that are all around us. We need to start developing an awareness by spending time with God, the God who created our hearts to be generous in the first place. So imagine if we started every day with a prayer like this, Heavenly Father, I want to experience the joy that comes from being generous. I ask that today an opportunity to be generous will come my way, that I will recognize it when it does, and that I will have the courage to jump in and give. A simple prayer. You can say it however you want to say it. I promise you this, though. If you make a commitment to pray in the morning, you will be absolutely amazed at the opportunities for generosity that pop up for you all day long. And here's a little secret. Those opportunities were there all the time. We just weren't aware. Praying and asking God for opportunities is a way to open our heart and change our perspective. Change what we're looking at. Change what we're listening for. It's not a coincidence that just a few chapters before Jesus' encounter with this woman who was bleeding, that he got up early and he went off by himself and he spent time in prayer. Prayer aligns our hearts with God's heart. And it changes our perspective so we can live with a Holy Spirit-driven awareness every day. So as we close, I want to just share this powerful story that was on a video that I saw about generosity and the importance of awareness. So watch this video with me. The story starts with me eating chicken at KFC. And this guy comes just shuffling in with a walker. His beard was growing out, and his hair was down to his shoulders, and it was greasy and matted. He's got on this old white T-shirt that is just soiled from stem to stern. I thought, well, you know, I can at least give him something to eat. We went and grabbed him some chicken, and uh, I found out he was living on a couch in a little patch of woods there. So he was back there laying on the couch, and he told me that he was a homeless vet. I could not believe 
that a human being would be living like he was, especially having served the country. He was sick, he was mentally disabled, smelled to high heaven. You know, it would be inhuman to leave a man living out like that if there was any hope. So I took him into a hotel, but uh, he's got issues with his kidneys and his feet. And so they finally said, look, take him out. We just started taking care of him from then on. Ready? You know, what happens to a man that deteriorates to the position that he's in? From what I've been able to piece together, he was adopted by an elderly couple, so they died early in his life. He joined the military, got married somewhere along in that line. His wife said, come home and take care of the family or she was gonna leave him. He went home to take care of his wife. Well, she left him anyway and took the kid. just wish God would make all this stop. I mean, it's been a challenge, just a slog to get those benefits. In the middle of this thing, I don't know when it'll end. I don't know if it will end. But when I committed to help him, I basically told God I'd see it through. Mark was in hell till Eddie Green came into his life and changed all that. Mark was very sick. You know, post-traumatic stress syndrome, the first thing they start thinking about is what they did in that war. How many people they done killed. Sometimes I think I've made so many mistakes. When I'm laying in bed, I ask God to make sure I don't wake up. I don't want to see him die. I'm hoping that Mark can get out of the prison that he's in, in his own mind, and come back to life. For a while, I hated God more than anything on this planet. That kind of, that went away because I figured there's all kinds of people on this planet that are kind of like me, and he's helping them. Eddie is someone that I would do anything for if I could. Go to the bathroom and then call me when you get ready to brush your teeth, all right? 
He's done so much for me. If you consider that you're a gift of God to the other people in the world, there really is something spiritual that takes place when we give our life. It's just like a crystallization of the reality of what God feels for mankind. Just listen to Mark. Listen to him cry out, man. He, he became my brother. This is the way I look at other people. They are human beings. They're brothers and sisters no matter what. Somebody needs to reach out, give them compassion, and don't think loving somebody is weak. It is powerful. Love is the most powerful thing in the world. It's a very powerful story, isn't it? I love the opening line. The story starts with me eating chicken at KFC. <laughs> and if you're like me, you're probably wondering, how does someone stumble into a story like that? Well, the answer is awareness. Eddie didn't stumble into this story. He had a perspective that created awareness. And when God needed Eddie... He was ready to go. And if we are open to it and aware, God will give those opportunities to us. I'll end with this quote from Eddie that sums this up beautifully. He said, if you consider that you are a gift from God to the other people in the world, there really is something spiritual that takes place. Now, please understand, that's not a prideful concept that he was sharing, not like, I'm God's gift to mankind, no. However, having an awareness that you are a vessel of God, created in His image to do His will, you can be a blessing to other people. So as we close today, I, I, I want to offer this final thought. We, we didn't read about it today in the text. If you were to continue to read you would see that Jesus did go on to heal Jairus' daughter as well. And as I think about that story, Jairus and his wife were desperate for an answer. This unnamed woman was desperate for an answer. And I don't know what you may be going through, but I do believe that Jesus has the answer. I want you to have the opportunity for that blessing today. He may also be able to use someone here to help you in whatever situation you may be in. In a moment, as we stand and sing after the prayer, um, we would love for you to come down so that we can pray with you. But if you are like that woman and you're, you have that kind of uh, faith that boy, nobody needs to know what's going on, I'm going to pray and trust in God. Hey, He hears your cries. And I hope that all of us will be aware enough to love you 
and help you. So friends, remember, generosity begins with awareness. Father, I thank you for your generosity in our lives. Thank you for loving us and blessing us in every way. And I pray, God, that we too would be generous as you have been generous with us. That begins with being aware of the needs of others. So, Father, help us not to be selfish in our view, but help us to be open. Open those doors for us to be generous and to be a blessing to others. And may we do this in the name of Jesus, not in our own name, not to pat ourselves on the back, but in the name of Jesus to give him the honor and the glory. And we pray this in his name. Amen.